warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. A very British podcast about very British movies. And sometimes there is this wee bit of professionalism somewhere along the line. And thank God for our guest today because he is a professional. He's always welcome. It's Mark. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Yeah, I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) With me as ever, Stephen. Hello, sir. Hello, mate. Yes, I'm very trying too. (laughs) (laughs) Now... Today, it's October, this episode will be going out pretty much as soon as we've recorded it. We're calling it the Halloween episode, but there may be some discussion as to A, whether this is a Halloween movie, and B, whether it's actually British or not. Does it Does it count? What, what, what are your immediate thoughts, guys? Yeah, of course it does. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, you couldn't have this kind of thing coming from the minds of anybody else to be honest this is is british for it doesn't matter where the money you come from this is a thoroughly british production fantastic uh, with some lovely it's basically america filtered through british filter yeah i mean (laughs) the argument is. is there's two major american stars who weren't particularly famous at the time but the rest of the cast pretty much is british um, it was filmed over here. I'm assuming. I'm not too sure. Yeah. yeah. In um, yeah. Um, the oh, uh, at least that's one right, of the sets was, right. it, was the hammer. Yeah, the hammer, hammer houses, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah there we go. Yeah. All right. So yeah. it's more British. So that's than the connection. Yeah. Mm. And to be honest, you're not gonna you're not gonna get a film from anywhere else in the world that has Christopher Biggins in it. <laughs> the Biggins was there. The Biggins was there. <laughs> Well, if you haven't guessed, dear listener, it's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We'll be back straight after this. You've seen all kinds of movies, but you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is wonderfully weird. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. It's fabulously freaky. It's a trip to transsexual Transylvania. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Transsexual Transylvania. The story is strange. But tonight is the night that my beautiful picture is destined 
to be bold. The songs are super. to absolute pleasure. See the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show, released in the UK in 1975. Wow, okay. Directed by a guy called Jim Sharman. Written famously by Richard O'Brien and starring Richard O'Brien, Tim Curry, Susan Sarandon, Barry Boswick. Meatloaf is in there as well. The synopsis. In this cult classic, Sweethearts Brad, played by Barry Boswick, and Janet, Susan Sarandon, stuck with a flat tyre during a storm, discover the eerie mansion of Dr Frankenfurter, Tim Curry, a transvestite scientist. As their innocence is lost, Brad and Janet meet a house full of wild characters, including a rocking biker, played by Meatloaf, and a creepy butler, played by Richard O'Brien. Through elaborate dances and rock songs, Frankenfurter unveils his latest creation, a muscular man named Rocky. Straight off the bat, I have seen this more times than I can dare recall. It's We're talking double-double figures here, 20-30 times possibly, because of its cult status. Mark, who has selected the film, I know has seen it a fair few times, as well as a recent stage production. And Stephen, what's your history with it? I'm not too sure. I've seen it probably about a dozen times. Um, I have seen it as a stage production and um, went dressed up, and that's the only time I've ever worn high heels and (laughs) never again. Um, You never felt so alive, did you? I'll bet. No, this is it, yeah. You know, the rest of my life seems so dull in in comfort. No, Um, excruciating footwear, I can't um, leave them to other people. But, yeah, so I've seen it, yes, a, a, a dozen times or so. Okay, and this was brought about by yourself, Mark, wasn't it? Because you went very recently to see the stage show, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, man, it was a good show. But I'll talk about the show as we go on. But man, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. It really. <laughs> okay, so so the history of the film, we we all know it's it's based on a stage production that 
Richard O'Brien famously wrote in the early 70s. And it, it does does anyone actually know how it achieved the cult status? You know, the thing about the midnight screenings at the theater? I do. Yeah. yeah, I can tell you how Please, it sir, worked. It was right. Well, um, I could also talk about the origin of the whole thing, but let's let's cut to the mm, film. Mm. Let's cut to the film. Uh, essentially, they uh, they it bombed. It bombed. Mm. It, they thought it was going to do well, uh, and uh, even some of the cast didn't like it. Meek, though, for example, said uh, first time he saw it, it was an empty theater, and he thought it was terrible. <laughs> it was really like, oh, what's this? But then he saw it with an audience, a normal right. audience, but an audience nonetheless, and realized how good it was. Oh. They needed to make their money back, so they started showing midnight showings of it, and from there, boom, you know? This was part of the whole um, midnight cult stuff, you know, I think things like Elm. Is it El Mondo? El Topo. El, El Topo. Topo and some John Waters stuff, wasn't yeah, it? Right. Yeah, John Waters. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And the Rocky Horror was firmly in there. And pro- probably became the, the queen of, I'm not going to say king, <laughs> yeah. the queen of that whole thing. Rocky Horror was the quintessential midnight movie uh, experience. I mean, it's even in other films. You see it in, I think, the film for fame. They have a Rocky Horror. They go to a Rocky Horror show. Oh, I haven't think. seen that for years. Yeah, you're probably Example. right. Yeah. Um, and it still goes on, you know, R- Rocky Horror, not only are there stage productions, there's these things called shadow casts where they show yeah. the film, yeah. but people enact bits of the film underneath the film as it's going. So it's proper participation <laughs> and it's full participation. Now I've seen it a few times on the stage and I haven't got all of the, you know, shouting. I, I know that Janet gets called rude words and things like that, yeah. but I, I, and uh, you know, you pick it up as you go kind of thing. I um, had but, the... The audience participation, yeah. I had the audience participation album before I'd actually seen the movie as a teenager, and it was really bizarre because I had this vision of what this movie was going to look like, and I knew what the audience was shouting out ninety percent of the time. And when I saw it for the first time, I, I just absolutely loved it. But still, watching it on Friday night, I've got the audience participation reactions going through my head. It's it's yeah. so effective. It's so ingrained in there. Um, yeah. Not for me, funny enough. I haven't got, I've seen the film more than the stage production, and I've warmed to the film uh, over the years. I didn't particularly like, well, I always liked it, but I didn't think it was great, mm. apart from the music and, and the numbers, the musical numbers. Um, I always felt like the plot got completely out of control when the mad scientist turns <laughs> up. And it does, doesn't it? It does. It completely does. But I don't care anymore. <laughs> the more I see it, the less I care about that, and the more I dig everything that's going on. There was really. a, there was a point where I'd watch this two, three times a year, possibly, and this is the first time I've seen it in over six or seven years, I think. And I've always had a problem with that second half. To me, it's, yeah. a, it's a film of two halves. Do you both agree with that? I think. It, yeah, it, it, the second it, half it, it kind of unravels a, a bit. It's it's a lot more solid and together and, and well thought out for the first part and punchy as well. Yeah. And the second part, it kind of, it, it's, it's the end is in sight for it and it kind of just um, flurries towards it without the same cohesion and, and strength. And um, even the musical the, numbers aren't as memorable, are yeah. they, as well in that second half? No, I mean, there are some good ones, but mm. it, uh, and unfortunately, they cut one of them for the film, which I'll come to later, but yeah. uh, which I, a bit I really, a, a track I particularly like, and it's not in the, the movie, mm. in some cut, in most cuts. Yeah. Um, but I, I always felt that when the scientist turns, the mad scientist turns up, it kind of snakes or the plot stops making sense, really. Yeah. It, it yeah. loses narrative cohesion, and I think that's a bit of a problem. However, I don't care anymore. <laughs> it's still a great movie. Mm. 
I mean, we could go through song by song, but this would take forever if we were to try and dissect it. Have you got any particular favourite parts of the film, guys? Or, or, well, or, or the, ti- the time walk's an obvious one, right? Um, I all I love the opening track. Love it. Absolutely. In fact, I nearly started a podcast called Science Fiction Double I... Feature just so I could play that. <laughs> I thought of I you when I was watching this, funny enough, because there's so many references to movies that I know that you yeah. love. That is your yeah. genre. And, and I, again, I was thinking, do you know what? You could actually do a podcast featuring all those movies that are mentioned in the opening credits. You know, it's yeah. like yeah, day, of the, day of the Triffids and the Day of the Earth. Well, that's how it starts, right? That's yeah. how it starts. But, yeah, I love that. And funny enough, I watched a documentary about it, and that song yeah. uh, is, is quite significant in the history of Rocky Horror because um, Patricia Quinn mm. sort of knew nothing about this, and she just went and saw Richard O'Brien, and he played her that song. He just said, here's one of the songs, and played it. And she says, I don't care what it is. I don't care how many times I've got. I want to be in it. I have to be in this. Oh. And, again, the producer... Uh, you know the original producer of the stage show. He just heard that song and he said, "Yeah, we got to do that." So that, that one song kind of brought all that about. So is that song in the stage production? Because it yes, mentions right at the beginning. Yeah. Well, it's not in the stage production. It's a, a like a movie usher. It's magenta. It's the usually the person playing magenta yeah. comes on as a movie usher oh, and just sings it. Okay. Um, so that's how we and apparently they were planning kind of that in the film and they were kind of wanting to make it, it start in a cinema yeah. as if people were watching it and that was the idea but they went with what they went with uh, they changed their mind about that and there's some interesting things about production I just want to say before Ooh. we get into anything else they were offered a good budget if they cast famous rock stars of the day in the film mm. or a tiny budget if they kept to the original cast uh, but even then they had to take on two america some of the Amer- i think sarandon and boswick were in the american cast i could be wrong okay. but uh they still had to say on but uh they nominated to go for the budgets you know so they had the likes of tim curry and little now and yeah. you know stuff like that I mean, that, that, and mm. to its credit, you know, I don't know why would it be the thing it was if it had been like, I don't know, David Cassidy or God forbid, <laughs> Gary Glitter or something. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Glitter as Eddie. That might have been appropriate, actually. Because <laughs> I'm just trying to think if this was 75, 76, Bat of Hell hadn't even come out at this point, had it? That no, would have been a couple of years after. Meatloaf got known. Yeah incredible story i mean and and that whole opening sequence as you say is so iconic now just that black background with a bright red pair of lips singing the opening tune patricia that's patricia quinn's lips yeah. uh with uh richard o'brien's voice and she was a bit miffed that uh, <laughs> she didn't get to sing it that it was richard o'brien yeah. but it works right it works. yeah yeah it does we go into the opening scene which is the wedding and all the cast are actually there amongst the yeah. congregation. Yeah, yeah. Um, my particular favourite part is the recreation of the American Gothic picture where you see yeah, Richard O'Brien. Yeah, Richard O'Brien <laughs> with his pitchfork, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, Tim Curry is the priest. Now, I have to say, at this point, uh, when I was watching it, I thought, blimey, Tim Curry really looks like um, Bill Skarsgård, you know, who played Pennywise yes. in the version. Yeah, creepy. And I hadn't realised they looked that similar. Yeah. Uh, and it's just weird. They both ended up playing a clown, you know, That's Pennywise true. the clown. Yeah. But yeah, very good. Very good. 
That was built uh, opposite, I think, the stu- either the studio or even Oakley Court where they f- filmed. Um, um, that was just built. So that, it, it really recreates Americana very well. It doesn't does it? look like a proper old American shaker type church, doesn't it? It's, it's that sort yeah. of era, yeah. Instantly, I mean, you, you were saying this film wasn't popular when it first came out? It, it, no, it bombed. It bombed. Yeah, it, wasn't, it didn't, didn't do good. But no. what? But why do we know? Is there any particular reason? Because obviously, it has achieved this cult status now, and going, <coughs> you know, immediately. If anybody's not grabbed within that first five minutes, it's, it's strange, isn't it? You know, it. I think I read a review on Letterboxd. It was like, why have I not seen this film before? It is everything that I like in a movie. It's and it's true. I can't see why people didn't take to it all those years ago. Uh, um, uh, yeah, what always astounds me is the time warp's very early, and like, if you don't like the time warp, <laughs> what's wrong with you? You know, so p- p- apparently there were walkouts, you know, word of mouth, people just didn't go see it. Yeah. Um, and this happens, you know, it does happen. There are a lot of really great films that never just bomb when they first come out, but mm. they just grow. Yeah, I suppose it's finding its audience. There wasn't really a lot to compare it to beforehand. So people couldn't couldn't. There wasn't already an established sort of audience um, for this type of film, really. Yeah. So I suppose it had to it had to create its audience in that sense, and people um, band together over their love for it, and with that becoming therefore a, a sort of cult thing. I suppose that's why it took time to establish itself. And as Mark says, with the um, the midnight showings initially, though, you'd imagine people going into it not knowing what it was and and finding that it wasn't what they expected probably <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah which is to their yeah. detriment yeah I, mean, I have to say i remember this i remember the old london buses and pitch you know po- you know they used to have like little posters on the sides yes of yeah. the bus yeah. not on the sides the the corners yeah as well as, well as right. the sides yeah and i remember quite distinctly rocky horror thinking and i was probably 10 i was 10 so I was like, oh, that looks really weird. Yeah. And I, I think it was an AA when it came out, uh, which is equivalent to a 15 now. Yeah, that's uh, right. And so I couldn't go see it. But and I, I was kind of interested. I would have gone and seen it if it had been an A. But uh, it, it looked odd. I think the thing is, it was also quite a strong celebration of sort of LGBT stuff. And that was probably not a mainstream thing of course uh, as well i think this this film always feels surprisingly fresh to me and kind of relevant in really odd ways even though in other ways it's kind of old-fashioned you know i think it's because it's pastiche in the 50s it kind of still works as i say i always think of you when i see this film because i know that you love that old sort of 50s science fiction genre you know you quite amass famously and and all those sort of old monster movies it is a very bizarre subject, you know. Even reading out that synopsis, I'm thinking, "Wow, you know, <laughs> who on earth would make a movie based around this?" When you say it's a an alien transsexual transvestite has created a Frankenstein type monster, that's the plot, and you're like, yeah. "Okay, try selling that to somebody." You can't, but as I say, instantly, the minute you watch it and they get that catchy tune, you know, "Damn It, Janet." You've got to be drawn yeah. into it somehow. I mean, the hook is the music, right? But mm. then after watching that, then you see others. I mean, I'm talking about the movie specifically. Then mm. it's like the specific performances. Richard O'Brien is absolutely fantastic as Riffra. Mm. Let's not even talk about Tim Curry. Let's just, yeah, well, we will. But <laughs> yeah. 
forget about Tim Curry. Richard O'Brien is fantastic as Riff Raff. Um, Patricia Quinn, you know, yep. excellent magenta, really good magenta, yeah. perfect magenta, uh, and so on. It just, it just works. You can tell this is a, this is, it's almost from a play cast. There's certain films you can just sell. These guys are just clicking off each other left, right, and center. And then after that, you start to get to the set design and the weird sort of choices and the little echoes. For example, you know, we get the Norman Rockwell thing of the pitchfork, yep. but later on, he's got a ray gun that looks like a pitchfork. Oh yeah, uh, you know yeah. stuff like that. It's <laughs> little touches, but it's all this. You know, one of the I, I think it was either the director or producer said, "Yeah, yeah, I, I used to love going to art galleries." And I thought, what would someone like Frankenfurter be like if he saw this stuff but didn't really understand its context? But thought, I want to add that. Yeah, and just started putting it in his house. That's what the set's meant to be like. It's like and not understanding. You know, oh yeah, that's a, a, a nice stuffed animal. I'll have that. We'll just put it here, and, and there's all that going on. Yeah. Well, apparently, apparently, I've been told previously that um, the costume and set design that they, they actually hadn't done in-depth research into sort of the Americano as, as such. They did their perception of that. That was just their idea of it without actually going back and looking into it. So it was very much a uh, almost a parody of it or just a, a cherry-picked version that you get from particularly our side of the, the Atlantic. Um, and I think that's why it is a bit of a mismatch like that because they've just thrown it in there very much with a, a sort of a punk aesthetic, really, as far as um, just throwing it all in there and, and make do. And, and and I think that's where it comes from, that, that um, it's kitschy, funny kitschy. Yeah, it does remind me of some of the part. I'm trying to think now. There's some like Jubilee. There's element, you know, Jubilee, Jubilee yeah. feels a bit mm. like this. And there's certain other elements were in the air at this time that definitely feel like they're plugging into this. For example, Cabaret. If you watch Cabaret, there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, they've got um, men and women are the girls of the Kit Kat Club. And that kind of feels very Rocky Horror too so there was stuff it there was stuff in the zeitgeist and it kind of come out in this i also think i could be wrong i think the whole midnight thing started in america really yeah it's this particular theater in new york i think it was and i can't think of the name of it and it was the one that was showing things like the john waters movies on a friday night at midnight yeah um there's a great documentary i think it's called midnight movie madness or something like that yeah i've seen that yeah. john lennon used to go didn't that was he? And, it and yeah. stuff like that and it's a great interesting because it, it focuses on the three or four main movies, doesn't it? If I remember rightly, yeah. And Rocky Horror is one of them, and I think yeah. it's El Topo and I, John. One of the John Waters, polyester or something, others. isn't it? Yeah, I can't remember what one. Am I right in saying this is Tim Curry's debut as well, film debut? Yeah, first first movie. Yeah, wow. yeah. He'd not done a, a lot um, film, you know, actually filmed before this. Um, I don't think he was uh, a stage stage wise. It yeah. was it was stage wise. I know. Um, my drama teacher at school um, went to drama, was in the same class with him at drama school, and was still friends with him. Oh, um, cool! So um, there was occasional referencing there, but she wasn't one of these to just name drop out the, you know, for every sake of it. it just was something we were aware of. But um, so yes, he hadn't done anything really film-wise or, or filmed before this. So it's amazing. He just takes to to being filmed so easily. It seems. Yeah. Do you know who actually put their name forward to play the part of Frankenfurter and was rejected? Possibly because of budgetary reasons. Was it Jagger? It was Mick Jagger, yeah. Oh, that was a guess. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. It just I could just see it because he was in performance, wasn't he? Of and it was course. kind of a weird 
psychosexual thing yep. in that film. Yeah. So I could kind of see that. You could see it, couldn't you, actually? But I, th- I don't know if it was budget that, you know, they couldn't actually achieve it or whether they just wanted Tim Curry because he was the, you know, the original stage performer. Well, like, in my research, it was like, yeah, we want to keep the original cast. We yeah. we don't want rock. They didn't name anyone, but they, they sort of said, we don't really want rock stars. We want, you know, we want the original cast. And good decision. Obviously, yeah. In my opinion, apparently, I'm just reading this here. The original production was only 40 minutes long, right? When they originally wrote it, uh, the time warp was written for the stage version to fill to fill a gap. Basically, it wouldn't Bloody need any hell. <laughs> Richard O'Brien's got talent coming out of his ass. <laughs> and another thing, have I misheard this as well? You know, when they're driving in the car heading towards the, yeah. the castle in the rain. Is that Richard Nixon's resignation speech? It is. Yes. And they specifically yeah. <laughs> wanted that in the film to get to contextualise the date. Ah, that right. Is but there's an even more bizarre thing in the middle of this. I don't know if you noticed it, Go but on. there's a point in the narrator's talking and there's a picture of Ronald Reagan next to him. No. And he's like, what the hell? <laughs> well, would he have been governor of California about that time? Probably. But even probably, then, it's random, it's just isn't so it? weird. Yeah. It's so weird to see him random. in a film eight years before he became president. No, sorry, six years before yeah. he became president. Um, so weird. Yeah, but yeah. Nixon, Nixon is listed in the cast <laughs> on IMDb, <laughs> listed in the cast as himself. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, that's brilliant. Fantastic. It doesn't get, doesn't get him into the Hall of Fame or anything, but he's listed anyway. So. <laughs> Actually, while you're sort of mentioning cast and IMDb cast list, we haven't got anybody into the Hall of Fame with this one, have we, mate, at all? No, we haven't. We've got a second appearance, Who's but that's that? all. Who's the second? It's Charles Gray, the narrator. Oh, what was he in before? Um, previously, he was in Theatre of Blood. He was indeed. There we go. Yeah. So, and he, he'll crop up again, obviously, with the bonds and things because yeah. he, he's. I wasn't expecting two, anybody. Different roles, yeah. But um, wasn't no, the, the rest were just the the. Surprisingly, we haven't had Biggins before, but um, who knows? Yeah, well, Christopher Biggins is in the uh, in the Greek chorus. Well, Transylvanian, isn't he, or whatever? Yeah, uh, I don't yeah. know. If he, I can't remember if he's in the the porridge film, but we might get to him. If he's in that, we might get to him then. <laughs> but um, but yes, nobody else Cause has the, any yeah, appearance. The, the Greek chorus, but he's, he's definitely all British actors because I recognised. There's the very little guy, who plays the photographer at the wedding. Now, oh, yeah, I've seen him in stuff. He's often in Spike Milliganish. Kind yes. of stuff, isn't he? And I remember in particularly Python even. Yeah, as a kid he was in a children's educational thing called Words and Pictures. And he had this little puppet thing called Wordy, and he was the guy that was operating him or speaking to him, and it was a kid's thing teaching you how to read, early mid seventies possibly about this time. Yeah. I have seen that bloke in lots of seventies yeah. things. According I to think he was in the Spike Milligan Q series that I he'd think pop he up, was. I think. Yeah, it's, it's that sort of face, isn't it? According to this IMDb, I mean, I'm just grabbing some trivia here. Susan Sarandon and Barry Boswick were dating at the time. Which oh, OK. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm surprised, you know, Barry Boswick wasn't bigger. Um, I thought he was really good in this. Uh, and Steve, I think Steve Martin wanted the part, canvas for the part, and didn't get it. But I think he's, Barry Boswick's really good. And uh, he's one of those guys you think should have been a bit more... You know, had a better career. Yeah, but, I mean, he did some later stuff, didn't he? I mean, he's still acting now, I believe. Yeah. Um, I've seen him in something, some sort of American TV show that he went on to do, you know. Um, but a great He's actor. had a slightly chameleonic, and a, not average, but 
it doesn't stand out. You wouldn't. I, if you showed me pictures of him, I probably wouldn't recognise him. That's true. In some of this stuff. That's true. And again, just trivia-wise, listen to this one. According to Meatloaf, Elvis Presley was the studio's first choice to play Eddie. Apparently, Elvis actually had expressed some interest in doing it. I didn't know that. I do know <laughs> Meatloaf said one of the best things about being in the Rock Hurry stage show was he got to meet Elvis. Elvis came, oh, right. saw the show, and wanted to meet Tim Curry and Meatloaf, but just those two. Uh, so he got to meet Elvis. So he goes, if nothing else, I met Elvis. <laughs> you know, but I didn't know Elvis. Elvis? Apparently, yep, yeah, that's according to Meatloaf. Yeah. Um, mm. It's an incredible film. Let's just talk about the two halves. I mean, for me, as soon as you get to the creation of Rocky, that is a definite sort of end point because you go into the seduction scenes and all that sort of stuff and Dr. Scott turns up. And for me, it becomes a separate separate movie. It may be like in the original production, it might be where the intermission was or something. I don't know. Mm. And I always struggle with that second half. Um, watching it Friday, I went in open-minded thinking, you know what, I'm watching it on my projector. Big screen for the first time, I've got surround sound, I was fully immersed in it, and it still fell flat for me. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it does for me. Um, it's, it's, I, I'm okay with the seduction stuff, that all works for me. It's really when the Doctor turns up, because it feels like a plot element too far, and then it becomes very, well, why is Rock... Why, what's happening with hunting Rocky down? And... Hmm. Well, you know, it's all that kind of stuff, uh, and things don't resolve. I still like it, but it definitely. I, I think my my point of it flipping is after the seductions, where it sounds like yours is just before. It's about that sort of time. I think it's after the what's the song in just seven days? I can make you a man or something. I think is that that uh, mm. that after that point, I think is where it goes for me. Mm. I think when Doctor Scott arrives is when it starts to. So we're all the same out. here. Then you you think mm. the same, Stephen? Then that. That yeah. second half is just not as powerful or as grabbing or whatever as, as the first. Yeah, um, it, it seems more contrived. Um, that it's it's just um, it's not tacked on as such, is it? It's got the end. It's got the ending in sight, and it's just trying to work its way to it and 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 t- and sort of get there with as you, as Mark says, without necessarily tying up the loose ends. It's just sort of going right. What's the what's the easiest way we can sort of get there and, yeah. and it be done. Well, as, yeah. as, as Mark hinted earlier, there was the songs missing from this uh, this actual version that we've seen. There's a US and a UK version. You were saying, mate, isn't there? There's a particular song. There is. There's a particular song uh, right at the end. Now, I should should say both. Uh, and what I'm going to say is about both the stage show and the movie. Mm. I think it becomes more serious. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and while it also becomes disjointed, the songs the songs are still great, but they're very serious and have a mess. You know, don't don't uh, dream it, be it. It's yeah. quite specific. You know, it's quite a, a meaningful song. And there's another one called Superheroes, which is the one that's cut, yeah. which is a great song. But it begin, becomes more serious, and I think the serious doesn't quite feel as much fun as the first half i think that's probably it. i think it was more if it if it was as fun as the first half you wouldn't care so much about the yeah. plot unraveling yeah and, and you also said that in in the two different versions charles gray is not in one version you were saying no charles right? gray is in one version uh yeah. what it is is uh oh i'll tell you yeah we'll go through the differences the, the in the 
original original cut this is what happened mm. the house kind of took off and uh, by the way that was a cardboard cow of the house just being pulled <laughs> outwards but that's how they did that. it wasn't the real house <laughs> no it wasn't the real house oh. and if you look carefully you can see the real house is still there in the smoke uh, uh, and um then it cuts to a song where it's just um brad and janet and the doctor mm. in like the wreckage and they sing a song called superheroes about you know what you've lost it's about loss it's about loss and then that and it's not very long it's only a couple of minutes but then it cuts to the narrator saying this stuff you know lost in time lost in space we're just ants uh and then it ends um whereas after a couple of years and i'll go through the reasons why in a minute they cut that bit of song completely so the house takes off and it cuts straight to the narrator doing his thing and then it ends which i think is the version you two you two guys saw I saw the UK, what's now called the UK version, which is has got that bit of footage inserted back in again. And it's quite poignant. It doesn't particularly change anything. It's just they're crawling through the wreckage and sort of yeah. on their hands yeah. and knees looking upwards. Yeah. Um, but it's still a quite a good song. Uh, and I, I, Now, this is a bit odd. This mm. is going to sound quite odd. But the song, to me, it always has done this, sounds very, very, very similar to a piece of piano music that's played at the end of the Incredible Hulk TV series called The Lonely Man or The Lonely Man Theme. Yeah. Uh, they sound very similar. And it coincides the, uh, theme with... theme songs for, for Scott's life, I think. It is. <laughs> it's permanently going it's through my around. head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, permanently, right, shame. Um, <laughs> now, it coincides. They excised it from the original prints when The Incredible Hulk came out. Now, I don't believe there's been any discussion about copyright or anything like that, and the Incredible Hulk one came out after Rocky Horror, but I think someone was paid somewhere. We want to use that music. We know it sounds the same. Can you just take it out of those prints, please? Oh. Um, I think there's a bit of that. I've done a lot. God knows I've tried. Find the truth I've even lied But all I know Is down inside I'm It wasn't in the version now watched. No, definitely. Um, no. Uh, I, but I, I, watched the, I watched the Russian version, so... <laughs> oh, Scott, no, I mean. I think that's the, only, that's the only cut. That's the only cut. But it, it just... It adds... It's a slightly better ending, I think, with that tracking. Slightly better. As I say, uh, yeah. But it's always been an abrupt film. You know, it ends abruptly. Yeah, I'm, I'm always flagging at this point. I'm, I'm always... 
almost waiting for it to end, you know, because I'm like, no, I've had enough now. Um, yeah. Which is a shame because that first 45 minutes is is magical. It's a great musical. It's a great cinematic musical. Well, and also the front end songs are fun. Apart from maybe Shine a Light, you know, the Shine a Light song, which is yeah. a great song, yeah. but it is a serious song. Uh, and again, it's kind of an inspirational song, a bit like Don't Dream It, Don't Be It. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, but we get these earnest songs, Don't Dream It, Don't Be It, then the stuff about going home. Uh, and stuff like that. It's all quite serious, and, it, and you're failing the plot holes. You know the the lack of plotting. Yeah, properly. As I say, um, it makes up for it with the costume. You know, Magenta's costume is epic. Yes, uh, Riffraff's isn't bad either. Oh, that that uh, hunchback he's got is incredible. The way he walks and the way he moves with that hunchback yeah. is, is just yeah. great. Well, no, I meant their end. The very end, oh, the end, the end with the, the hair, hair. <laughs> yeah. and and Riff Raff's hairstyle at yeah. the end as well. That's amazing. <laughs> if ever I go dressed up, I'm going as magenta as the Bride of Frankenstein. I'm telling you. <laughs> if, if, if ever you get, you always get dressed up when you go. I'm sure. <laughs> I need that. I need that wig. Yeah, I do. Um, but I mean, there's a whole set of really good songs, isn't there, at the beginning? That that really helps to get you into it. Oh, I uh, so, but yeah. I still, I'm still this day. I can't figure out what Eddie is all about. Is he? a creation is he just been seduced because uh the excitement says no he's my so i presume he's been seduced but he's got scars like something's happened I, on the I, I don't know. there's been a first attempt before so, Rocky. he's yeah. the attempt that tried um, but how could first. he be the nephew of the you know it, <laughs> because he's he's tried to modify an existing person rather than create one from scratch um, I do like some of the touches. Mm. I really like the creation process in this, which is very, you know, both U- Hammer and Universal, Universal Frankenstein. Yeah. But I like the fact they're pouring colours in, uh, which I felt was very prescient, given what rainbow means to the LGBT True. community yeah. now. I yeah. thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, there's a few echoes of, of symbols like like that. Um, the rainbow has um, been in there. And I think there's also, if I remember correctly, just thinking about it now, I forgot to have a proper look last night, but for one I, I remember there's um, on Frank Converter's um, surgical outfit, the green um, outfit. It's got it's got the scrubs. Yeah, he's got um, a pink triangle, which of course is as um, not only is it the gay liberation symbol, but it was also what what the Nazis put on the the gay people in the concentration camp. Which interesting. The pink pink triangle, I think, is in there as well as symbolism. Yeah, that also pops up in some versions of the Cabaret stage show. Um, so I wonder if Richard O'Brien went to see Cabaret and had some influences. Do you know you what? Know. As well, it's either Magenta or one of the female characters says something about it's a triumph of will or triumph of the will. They do mention those words, Don't yes. they? And then when you imagine that Rocky is this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, perfect creation... Well, where yeah, I think where are they going with that? You absolutely. Know? <laughs> Rocky gets created and Frankfurter asks everyone what they think and Magenta says it's a triumph of the wheel yeah. and then uh, Columbia puts a pin in it by saying, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Did you also notice, accuracy to detail here, Rocky has not got a belly bum? No, I didn't notice that. <laughs> I thought he just had a weird looking belly bum. No, it I just th- looked weird to me. I think they covered it deliberately. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. Very, very that's that's going back to the uh, old. That is properly old school. That's like the art uh, artists uh, at a certain point did not know whether to put belly button. Or there was a big argument: do, do you put belly buttons on portrayals of Adam and Eve? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
we could we could dig right into this movie and pick <laughs> it apart if we really wanted to. But I just love it. It's a fun movie. I've always had a great deal of fun watching this, and even I could I could sit and listen to the soundtrack album quite happily while I'm pottering about the house or whatever, you know. And it's it's apart from that second half, it is just so catchy every single tune. I mean, we, we've all seen this as we say, double figures, all of us. Yeah. Uh, no, I've, uh, maybe five or six. All right, not seven. as much. Not, not as double much. Figures yeah. It, and it's strange because this was 75, 76. I only first became aware of it as a young teenager, so we're talking early 80s. The Time Warp didn't really become famous until when did, it came out as a single, didn't it? But that was late 80s, early 90s when that became a craze. Am yeah. I, am I right with that? Yeah. And then the Chipmunks released it, Alvin and the Chipmunks, <laughs> and the kids love it. The kids love the time warp. They do. Um, have any of you guys seen the remake that came out last year, or the year before, with RuPaul as Frankenfurter? No, I've heard it's horrendous. It uh, was and think, awful. <laughs> and I think the whole point of putting... I, I think it was just ill-conceived. Yeah, and it was... In it, all respects. It's very sad as well because obviously Tim Curry had had the stroke a few years before and he plays the criminologist. He plays the Charles Grey character and he's sitting in a wheelchair, if I remember rightly, throughout it. And you can see that he's still affected by this stroke but still has that twinkle in his eye. But it's very, very sad to see Tim Curry there, you know. Um, apparently, another bit of trivia for you, you know that actual Frank Converter's voice... Tim Curry modelled that, he said, as a combination between Queen Elizabeth II and his mother. Nice. His <laughs> enunciation is amazing. Absolutely amazing. The whole anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> Do you oh, have any amazing. tattoos, no, Brad? It really yes. It's, really it is a fantastic film. Um, I also think that this influenced punk fashion somewhat, I suspect. I certainly see an injury. I feel like some of Ian Drury's outfits feel like they're a bit rocky horror, uh, and some other aspects, you know, the whole ripped fishnets and all that. That's very punk, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and the eye makeup, you know, the heavy eye yeah. makeup. Yeah, that- Susie, Susie, Sue, Susie and the Banshees must have gone to see rocky horror. <laughs> I like that look. Yeah, <laughs> and as you say, Derek Jarman, Jubilee. That's that's all there as well, isn't it? Because that was. 77, so a year or two after this. Final sort of thoughts on this. I mean, have we got any any more sort of bits of trivia or stuff you need to add, Mark? Because you said... That... Uh, yeah, a bit. The Oakley Court, yep. uh, where they filmed, uh, wasn't far from Brace Studios. Uh, apparently, the lead, they thought it was going to be demolished. They wanted it demolished, the owners, so they took all the lead off the roof. All right. Uh, to sell. Pre- and then it got, uh, like, a restoration order, or, you know, can't, can't demolish all that. yeah. But it had gone rot, you know, the rain had got in and rotted everything. But when they got there, I thought, yeah, this is perfect. So apparently the whole place was rotten. But uh, I mean, not all of what we saw was in there. Obviously, the, the labs and all that. They, yeah. But they, they filmed it at Bray, which is a hammer thing. They also did some of the interiors, I think, at Elstree. So okay. they filmed it in a few places. So that's interesting. Now, Oakley Court's been restored, and I intend to go stay there sometime. Nice. I really want to. Oh, it looks fantastic. Some... And it looks like it does in the film. It really does. Get some photos. Uh, on the outside, yeah. anyway. I don't know about the inside. <laughs> Stephen, yourself, um, sir. Did, was there any highlights for you? Any final thoughts on the movie? No, I think we've covered everything already, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Um, I'd be interested me. to know, apart from, we'll, we'll say the time walks are given, what's your favourite song? I'd be really interested to know. I'll, I'll tell you what's not gone out of my head since Friday night, the meatloaf one, Hot Patootie. <laughs> uh, 
uh okay yeah, yeah same here actually yeah um that's that's kind of i watched it last night and um it was in my head this morning there when i go. was frustratedly <laughs> driving around um closed roads um so yeah what about yourself can you imagine I'll... elvis doing it perfect <laughs> would, would have been perfect what about yourself um, I, mine is probably i really like sword of damocles but yeah. i think my favorite is probably du- science fiction double feature the, the i just love that yeah yeah as I say, I always think of you when I hear that because that is just... There's so many references. Steve Reeves is mentioned yeah. at one point. <laughs> That's in a different song, right? That, yeah, we but, could take in an uh, old Steve Reeves movie. That's right, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and the theatre that you were trying to think of was in New York is Waverly Theatre. The Waverly, thank uh, you. Yes, that's it. So we can generally agree, that the, you know, over the last sort of 40, 45 minutes, this is a British movie. There's no doubt. Yes. Fantastic. Is it a Halloween movie? Well, it's got horror in the title, so yeah. <laughs> I like I like it as a Halloween movie. I think it's a fun um, Halloween movie. And I just want to say, also, I think I've already made this point, I feel like this film still feels fresh. Yeah. And in many ways, feels more relevant to in 2019 than perhaps even when it was made. It just it feels like it captured something. Society's moved towards it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't uh, think the shock element's there so much now because no. attitudes have changed drastically over the last 40 odd years yeah and i think they've moved to so it, this is almost a mainstream film now yeah in your respect I, I could imagine actually i'm just looking at my blu-ray copy it's still yeah it's still a 15 certificate on blu-ray but i can see in a couple of years time that possibly being dropped to a pg Nah, I don't think so. No. What, what bit? Oh, no, no, because of the blowjob scene. Yeah, blowjobs and, and Eddie covered in blood. I, yeah. can't, I think it's a 15. <laughs> you forget. You forget these things. If I was to give it a rating, just because of that second half, just lets it down for me. So it's it's only a four out of five stars on Letterboxd for myself. Mark, you must have rated it on Letterboxd, mate. Yeah, I gave it four and a half. But, mm. you know, in earlier incarnations of watching it, I've given it three and a half, yeah. you know, because of the second half. But honestly, I am care I care less and less. Each time I care less and less. <laughs> um, I think because I, re- I, I haven't actually mentioned the stage show, um, mm. because I really like the stage show. And I have to recommend, there's a touring one at the minute, and I don't think he's doing everyone every version of it but um the narrator in the touring one i saw was philip franks who's charlie from darling buds of may oh wow yeah him yeah he was brilliant he was so on the ball because you have to be when dealing with a shouty audience of you know which you stuff. Yeah, like i saw it in the, not in the theater royal and at one point people were shouting and shouting and he just goes i want to tell you the plot that's coming he goes oh we have the psychic trannies of sherwood in today do we and <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing no, it was knew amazing. how to handle so a heckler yeah excellent. yeah it's one it's one to go catch but i think there's different narrators and possibly different frank inverters depending on what you see i saw it with duncan james who's oh is he a pop star i can't remember what he does duncan he he was great someone, yeah Inverter. i think the version that my brother went to see had jason donovan as frank Inverter, if i remember rightly i've heard of that version yeah, yeah. i've seen it twice on the same but the most recent one this was by far the best one and probably one of the best stage shows i've ever seen it was wow. that good okay your rating system Stephen, sir I'd say that this is a, a must-see film, really, for for everybody. It's um, once they're at the appropriate age. It's um, it's not just a cult. It's it's a sort of a, a cultural icon, really, and it's it. I feel it is very British, and I think it, but it needs to be seen by um, 
by everybody at least once. So um, even if they don't like it, they can at least understand what everybody else is talking about because <laughs> yeah. um, people people are going to still be talking about this in 40 years' time. So they they need to be part of be able to at least understand what the conversation is um, because it's it's part of culture now. Yeah, it's part of, I think part of what the, this conversation is. To a lot of people, I think they just go, "Oh, that's the one with the time warp in it." Those that haven't seen it, that's all mm. they'll say. That's their their reference point, isn't it? Is the time warp? And, the, and yeah, and there's more to it than just uh, Christopher Biggins dance. Camp, camp, yeah, it's more than just a camp <laughs> musical. There's more to it than than that. Certainly. Yeah, I think it's a. It feels like a nexus of of all sorts of cultural stuff. Uh, we've already talked about. We think it might have influenced punk and so on. Mm. I got a feeling uh, Bowie must be in here somewhere with Ziggy Stardust. I don't know if Ziggy, I, I think Ziggy Stardust was before. I think his makeup artist. I think there was, you know I I think it was a sty- somebody who was involved in in stylist or makeup, costuming or yeah. somewhere makeup. Yeah. I know it was somebody somebody who was tangentially um, linked between the two. That was somebody who was involved with Bowie at some point in his career earlier, before this, and um, was subsequently involved with this. I don't know who. Yeah, and looking to. on the back of the Blu-ray cover, there's a couple of features and documentaries about Mick Rock. Who, okay. Oh, he's right. oh, the, the photographer. Yeah. Oh, photographer? yeah. So yeah. he must have been on set doing the official photography. I'll have to have a little look to see what that's all about. So there's a connection there as well, I suppose. Yeah, and you can't look at this and say, oh, it's of its time. That is a 70s movie. It's one of those great films where you can say, as you said, Mark, it's relevant today. It hasn't aged. No way has this movie aged. You can't look back and say, oh, certain parts or certain aspects of it are really dated, because it's not. Which is a great thing about most musicals, I think, that they just have that quality where you could watch them in any era. Yeah, Yeah. I must say I'm not really a big fan of musicals Mm. generally. Um, I must say that I'm a bit averse to them. To be you're, perfectly you're honest, you're a fan of um, this, yeah, yeah. And and this um, it works, and I think it probably you know wouldn't work if it wasn't a musical. It's one of those few um, examples that it would have to, it has to be a musical, really. Um, and so you know it takes a lot for there to be an exception to my aversion um, <laughs> to musicals, and this is is one of them. So it it. it it needs to be understood that, that that's what it is, and it, it doesn't feel dated, like you say. Mm. Um, it's got. I think that part of that is possible because it is pulling references and and um, styles and stuff, not just from the punk era, but also from the kitsch fifties Americana type thing. It's it, it doesn't place itself in any particular era, despite the um, Nixon Nixon, yeah. Nixon uh, announcement. It doesn't. It it, it can be seen as being just placed in the past somewhere not for a particular era yeah. so it's not it's not pigeonholed itself no. yeah i find that the best musicals uh, uh for people that don't like music i like musicals personally mm. but i kind of get people that don't especially ones that just feel phony i think i'm you know a lot of the rogers and hammerstein ones just feel you know people just start singing for no reason <laughs> some are some are better but there are some musicals that just transcend that and you don't even think of them as music because you just think of the movies like Singing in the Rain or Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you know they just they just transcend the fact that they that those musical roots and become a great film. You know, yeah. right? And Rocky Horror is probably in that. There you go, and it's, it's up there with those sort of movies. I think you know it deserves to be spoken in the same breath as Singing in the Rain or The Wizard of Oz. I'm I'm, I'm convinced of it. Guys, let's take a little break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with what we're watching next time. 
that's just about it almost for Halloween episode. It seems a bit weird doing Rocky Horror for Halloween, but I can see why it was chosen. Mark, thank you for being on board today. We are going to invite you back. I think you've passed the audition, as we said last Ooh, time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We've just had a little bit of a frantic discussion off air as to what you're going to bring to the table next time because you hadn't prepared, unfortunately. But after a bit of cajoling and a bit of discussion between the three of us, what, what are we going to watch next time you're on board, mate? We are watching um, The Rebel with Tony Hancock. Is it 1960 or something like that? Oh, it's uh, yeah. The Rebel. I think only he only did, ever did two films, right? And this was one of them. Uh, the Punch this and Judy Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is all off the top of my head, so I might yeah. be wrong. Yeah, Punch and Judy Man, and he guest starred in Those Magnificent Men in the Fly Machines, or one of those type things as well, and The Wrong Box, I think he was in. But this is his first star. Oh, no, this is the second starring one for him, because I think Punch and Judy Man was before. There's a marvellous Blu-ray copy just come out of both of those. So should be readily available, guys, to yeah, watch. And and uh, if anyone's interested in trying to catch it before we, we go to recording, I think Talking Pictures show it reasonably frequently, course which do. is a free yeah. food channel, I think. Our favourite. So it's worth trying to catch. Our favourite TV channel. Our favourite yeah. TV channel, yeah. Indeed. Stephen, thank you for being here today, sir. Absolutely, my pleasure, and um, always a pleasure to hear Mark on on here as well as the other podcasts that he does, which I'm sure he'll be um, list, listing off. Yes, that's the next uh, the next part of the uh, the goodbyes <laughs> is for Mark just to let the audience know. Oh, that you're back. Uh, Go this on. is getting boring now. <laughs> All right, okay, the good, the bad, and the odd. Come listen to it. Anthologic. If you like anthology TV shows, come listen to Anthologic. Those are the only two active ones I'm doing at the minute, so okay, I'm just do those. Yeah, That's... but yeah, come listen to us. We yeah, enjoy ourselves. It's worth a shout, definitely. Guys, thank you very much. We'll see you all very soon. Tada! Bye. Absolute shah. Positive shah. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.